must have been pretty hectic for darkness to cover the whole land for three hours. I don't know whether you remember where you were the last time there was a total solar eclipse in this country. It was 1999. There was a lot of hype about it, sort of in the newspaper. Everybody was looking forward to it. I remember I was on um, kind of a teenager's holiday camp, and we all knew that it was happening on a certain day and at a certain time, and we all got ready to witness it, and we all stopped what we were doing, and it was, it was in the middle of the summer, but the thing I remember, it got dark, but it, it got cold. It was, it was eerie. Um, I don't, I'm not sure how much I really appreciated it as a teenager, so I looked up when the next one's going to be, and I was a little bit disappointed to discover the next total solar eclipse is on the 23rd of September, 2090. So um, I'm probably not going to be around for that, but... Uh, People have, you know, obviously used these calculations to try to work out when the date of the crucifixion would have been um, by working out when there would have been a solar eclipse over Jerusalem. Frankly, I don't think there's a whole lot of point in trying to do that because this was clearly more than just what we experienced uh, in 1999 because the maximum length of time a total solar eclipse can last is about seven and a half minutes. Um, This was three hours. It was clearly something... Miraculous. I mean, the same verse in, in the passage that we had read, um, the temple curtain, which was a thick curtain split in two from top to bottom, strange things were happening as King Jesus died. Witnessing these strange things was uh, the third member of our supporting cast, uh, our third character, Joseph of Arimathea. And verse 50 says that he was a member of the council. Uh, that council was the Sanhedrin who we encountered earlier, the group of elders, the court, who made the judicial decisions for uh, the Jewish people under the Roman occupying government. Um, The Sanhedrin were the ones who, (laughs) a bit like a senate, I suppose, they were the ones who had originally hauled Jesus in front of them when he was arrested. They were the ones who made the decision to send him all the way up to Pilate to accuse him of blasphemy and treason because the Sanhedrin wanted Jesus dead. And Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin. But, verse 51 said that he hadn't consented to the decision that they took. It says that he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Joseph of Arimathea was involved in running a kingdom, but he realized that there was something more than this earthly kingdom that he was helping to govern. He was waiting for God's heavenly kingdom to come. He wasn't the only member of the Sanhedrin who was in that boat. John's gospel we learn that, was well, that famous John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. A famous verse. Well, that was actually a private conversation that Jesus said those words to Nicodemus, who was also a member of the Sanhedrin, and who John's Gospel tells us helped Joseph of Arimathea with the body. They had to be pretty careful about the way they did that. Um, The Sanhedrin had just wiped out Jesus and now his followers were in danger. We know that the rest of the disciples fled the city fearing that they were next. I mean, the easy thing to do for Joseph would have been to just keep quiet during the trial. Let the whole matter blow over. After all, revolutionaries are always popping up and causing a stir and everyone forgets about them eventually. And now that Jesus was dead... Surely that, would sh- surely that had shown that he couldn't be God's chosen king. He didn't look like the Messiah. He was poor. He was unimpressive. And now he was ultimately dead. But Joseph Arimathea 
had been waiting for the kingdom of God. It says he didn't consent to the Sanhedrin's actions and the actions that he took instead to honor Jesus demonstrates that surely he believed that what he'd been waiting for had arrived. He was waiting for the kingdom and the king was here. So at tremendous personal risk to himself and personal cost to himself, put him in his own tomb. He went to Pilate. He asked for Jesus' body. I mean, Jesus has just been put to death for claiming to be a rival king. And here he is going to ask for permission to honor that rival king. That is a really risky thing for Joseph of Arimathea to do. And the crazy thing is, Jesus is dead. He's dead at this point. Of course, we know that after Good Friday follows Easter Sunday. I mean, I hope I'm not spoiling the plot for anybody, but (laughs) Jesus did rise again from the dead. But Joseph of Arimathea didn't know that. Joseph of Arimathea is honoring King Jesus despite the fact that he is dead at massive personal risk to himself when there are millions of good reasons not to. He's sacrificing his comfort. I mean, he's getting involved in moving a dead body and cleaning up a corpse. He's putting his career in jeopardy because if the rest of the Sanhedrin finds out what he's been up to, he'll be for it. But he's honoring Jesus despite the fact that he is dead. That is mind-boggling faith. I don't know whether you've found it difficult to follow Jesus and to be a Christian. Um, As we were praying for the persecuted church earlier, there are many in the world for whom there is real difficulty in following Jesus because there's real persecution. As a staff team here at St. Mark's, we've been through Lent praying for the persecuted church, country by country each morning. People have been imprisoned. Owning a Bible can get you into serious trouble. Churches are being burnt down. Families are being divided, etc., etc. It doesn't even make the news in this country because it's so commonplace around the world. But really, it's, it's, it's not something we can relate to. I don't know if you found that as we were praying. It's pretty unrelatable, isn't it? We live in, as I was saying earlier, incredible comfort by comparison. We know that we are some of the most privileged people on the planet. We are unlikely to face real persecution for following Jesus, much less be put to death. We're just not in that position, thankfully. But we are in a somewhat similar position to Joseph of Arimathea, aren't we? Are you privileged? So was Joseph. Do you work with a group of people who reject King Jesus. So did Joseph. Does that put you in something of a spiritual minority? It did Joseph. I mean, he had Nicodemus. Do you feel tempted to allow your convictions to fly under the radar, to keep your head below the parapet because you feel that things (laughs) will be just a lot more straightforward if you don't say anything? Well, surely Joseph must have been. Ultimately, Do you feel disheartened in your faith because it feels like sometimes Jesus has failed you? Well, Joseph's Jesus was dead. And still, Joseph of Arimathea honored King Jesus. He stood against the Sanhedrin. He went to Pilate. He got his body. He carefully wrapped it and laid him in his own tomb. I mean, I'm sure the full implications at that stage hadn't hit Joseph. Jesus has just died on his behalf. He's died his death, and now Joseph has laid him in his tomb. I don't know whether all of that crossed Joseph's mind. I'm sure it probably didn't. But Jesus has died our death. 
and Joseph has laid him in his tomb. If the encounter with King Herod shows us who Jesus is, that he's King Jesus of another kingdom, and the encounter with Dismas shows us what King Jesus does, that he makes people a part of his kingdom by grace alone, well, surely the encounter with Joseph of Arimathea shows us a faithful response to King Jesus, because here is somebody who kept on honoring King Jesus, even at personal cost and risk to himself, even though the whole thing looked like a total failure. What an encouragement. As the band comes.